Today, Pastor Javen begins our Christmas series, Comfort and Joy. With Jesus' birth came good news of comfort and joy, and we're called to continue to spread that news. So take a moment now, prepare your heart for today's service. Go with me real quick, Isaiah chapter 40. As we get started in our word this morning, this word is a word that came to the prophet Isaiah for the nation of Judah, but it's a word that's also for the world because it's a word that pointed to Jesus Christ. He said this, Isaiah chapter 40, verse one, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. That's taken care of, he says. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting. Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. His glory was revealed through Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have done in our life and for our lives and for our souls, God. And Father, we pray today that every day we live, we can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ with our life. God, we celebrate you. We worship you. We thank you for the emphatic comfort that you have spoken over our life through Jesus Christ. And we thank you today that you want to be our God. And we can be your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love Christmas. I love this is like one of my favorite times of year. I, I, I you know, obviously for the primary reason I love Christmas is because what it reminds us of. I mean, it's the whole purpose of what we've created out of this holiday is the birth of Jesus Christ. The fact that our creator, God, was born into this world to be our Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ. I mean, that is a phenomenal thing and a phenomenal truth to grab a hold to and to to have in our life. So I love that. But I love everything that comes with the season. There's so much joy. I love I love the decorations. I love my wife, believe it or not, it was the day after it was November 1st, right? My dec- the decorations in our house were up, all right? I mean, she loves it. She loves it. So we, she's like, Javen, get them. I was like, okay, yes, ma'am. So I'm going to go into the attic. I'm getting them all down. All the decorations are going up. I love it. I love going with my family, riding around, looking at Christmas lights. I, I love uh, seeing the joy on people's houses. Um, I, I, I love all, all of that aspect. And, and uh, I, love, uh, I love the shows, the specials that come on this time of year. I love those. I love Christmas music. Right, I love Christmas music. It's it's a joy, and uh, and I, I like the secular Christmas. Right, have you Yeah, I love all of that. I, I love uh, the Christmas hymns, especially as well, because just like traditional hymns, Christmas hymns carry with them powerful theological doctrine. They carry some great theological doctrine that get proclaimed all throughout. And one such song is a song called God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. You know this one? It's a, it's a beautiful song of a reminder of what Jesus did for us. Now, I mentioned that I love uh, specials and shows. One of my favorites, even from the time I was a kid, 
was the Grinch. I love the Grinch. I love Dr. Seuss's The Grinch. Now, this guy right here, that's actually, believe it or not, the young man that was playing that keyboard right there, that's him. That's it. He is, he's the Grinch, right? That's Graham. And so that's awesome. And so, but I love the Grinch. And the, the probably, but I, for the years when I was a young child, I couldn't wait for Dr. Seuss's The Grinch to come on TV. I love it. Some people say, why do you love The Grinch? Well, The Grinch is a story of redemption. Right? It's a story of restoration and newness because this guy who's so angry about everything, right, and hates everything about Christmas, all of a sudden his heart goes three sizes that day, right? And he experiences love and joy and everything that all this holiday represents. Why? Because it represents Jesus Christ or it talks about Jesus Christ. It reminds us of the birth of Jesus Christ and why he came to this world. So I love it. And I love the movie that came out with Jim Carrey. In 2018, there was another, there was an animated version of that movie that came out. There's a scene in this, in this movie where the Grinch is walking through Whoville and, uh, and as he's walking, there's some carolers in Whoville and they're singing, God rest ye merry gentlemen. All right. right? They're singing this as he comes by. He doesn't like them singing it because he can't stand every, anything about Christmas. So he starts walking faster, trying to get away from the carolers singing, God rest ye merry, trying to get away from them. Well, the carolers start chasing him. They're chasing him through the town because they want him to hear the words that they are singing. They want him to know about Christmas and he, he's trying his best to get away. But just think about this. A fictional world of animated characters singing out this song, God rest ye merry gentlemen, to a world of real people watching it. And what are the words that they're hearing? Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Now, maybe you're like my oldest son. We were riding in the car the other day. I've had Christmas music playing for a while. We were riding in the car, in the truck, and this song comes on. And my oldest looks at me and he says, you know, that's not true. So what's that? He wasn't born on Christmas Day. I said, son, you're so smart. You're so intelligent. Because we don't know exactly what day. Jesus was born on. So I admire you for that, but let's just show some grace to the author, right? He had to rhyme with astray. So he, he does it and he throws this in there and, and he's, you know, he's letting us know this, the whole reason we celebrate Christmas, that Christ our savior was born. But this is some powerful theological truth. It is telling the world that Jesus Christ was born to save you from your spiritual enemy. Powerful theological doctrine in a movie that has nothing to do with Jesus. It demonstrates a visual of what happens also often in our world. People are running away from this truth when they should be running to it. Right? It's, it's, it's great when people sing these songs because they sing out these proclamations because they've heard these songs ever since they were growing up and they sing these songs. You sing these songs and it is an unconscious presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ every time these songs are sung. It's just an awesome thing to be able to be a part of that. And this song proclaims that we have a great truth that we can rest in. That it, it, it lets us know that we can rest from the trouble we face and rest in the promises and the truth of what God has given us. And what has he given us? Jesus Christ in our world to save us from our trouble that's brought on by our enemy. And knowing this truth and resting in this truth brings us, as the song says, good tidings. As the scripture says, good tidings, which is another way of saying good news, good news of comfort and joy. So 
as we go into the, today, I'm just hope, hopefully just going to lay a foundation for where we're going over these next couple of weeks. I'm going to lay a foundation. Next week, we're going to dive deeper into the aspect of comfort or peace. We're going to look at that on a deeper level. And, and the week after that, we're going to look at, on a deeper level, joy. I love joy. Joy is a great thing to have. It's, I'm sure there's a wonderful person named Joy too. But joy, the characteristic, is a great thing. We're going to talk about that. And then on Christmas Eve, that Sunday morning, and we'll have our services as normal, 9, 10, 45. I hope that you make time to come and celebrate Jesus Christ with us on that morning. And we'll put a bow, so to speak, on all of this that day. But today, I, I want us to remember this truth. I mean, it's, it's something that we know, but we often walk away from it. Despite the sadness and the trouble that we face in this cruel world that we live in. Despite all of that, we can have peace and we can be made joyful. Despite everything we see, despite everything we go through, despite all of it, just like we were singing and declaring in the songs this morning, we can proclaim the goodness of God, the good news of God. I love Christmas. See, throughout our church history, this season, this time frame from the start of December, December 1st through Christmas Day is often been called Advent. It's still called Advent. Advent is a word that just simply means waiting, right? And there has never been in the history of our world a more strategic coming than the coming uh, of Jesus Christ. Well, Advent, I said waiting. Advent actually means coming. But it's just waiting on the coming of something. And there's never been a more strategic coming than that of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, when we look at the Old Testament, this is the history of God's covenant with the nation of Israel. And when you look all throughout that, beginning with the early patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, beginning with all of those, it, there, there has been, there speaks, that God speaks of a coming of a redeemer, of a deliverer. When you look to the prophets, the prophets speak of this redeemer. They speak of this deliverer. When you look through the Psalms, you find the writings in the Psalms that speak to this deliverer, through this redeemer. And these prophets and these people, they all, they tell you so much about his birth. They tell you about the character he walks with. They tell you about the life that he lives. They tell you about his death. They tell you about his resurrection. They speak to these things. When you get into the New Testament, that shows us the new covenant that Jesus brought to us and brought to the world. When we get to that, we see often in those passages of scripture that it says these words, as it was written. Because what was written was speaking to what Jesus did. When Jesus sat down with his disciples, he told them, he said, look, everything from Moses and in the law and from the prophets, it's all speaking to me, Jesus says. Because it all talks about him. Just like we saw in in the passage that we read this morning. It even spoke to the forerunner or the one that would come before Jesus. Right before he begins his earthly ministry. And he he prepares the way for the Lord. This was speaking as we're going to see here in just a few moments. About John the Baptist. And we know through the prophets. Because even in the Old Testament. They spoke to this that I'm about to tell you. And we know through Jesus because he speaks of this. We know through Paul and the other apostles of the early church, they speak to this, that Jesus' first coming was not the only time that he would come to this world. There's a second coming. He will return for his church, for his people. 
It's a picture that's hard to grasp. It's hard to understand. It's hard to wrap our minds around it. In the beginning of the new year, I'm going to attempt to do a series to talk about the coming of Christ. I'll just tell you this. I don't know a lot. <laughs> I don't know that anybody, we know what the scripture tells us. And that's what we're going to dive into, right? But here's the thing. He is coming back because he said he was. So we still live every day as Advent people. But as hard as it is to grasp, as hard as it is to understand, his first coming was hard to understand. There's even people that still are waiting on the coming of a Messiah because they don't believe that Jesus was it. And how they don't believe that baffles me. But we are still Advent people waiting on the coming. So we should keep in mind through this whole thing as well. And consider the question, what can I do? What am I doing to prepare the way for the Lord again? To express his good news of comfort and joy. When we read Isaiah chapter 40, we, uh, we read from there this opening passage. You know, Isaiah is a prophet. He's quoted more twice as much as any other major prophet in the Old Testament. He's quoted uh, more than all of the minor prophets combined. Right? And, and Jesus even speaks to Isaiah. He pulls out the prophecy of Isaiah standing in the temple when he declares his purpose for being here. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah. Now that's not to say that Isaiah is more important than any of the other prophets. It's not to say that he's, he's more prominent than. It's just, he had, it just to show his influence and the voice and God gave them this voice. This is so powerful to me. God, and simple, God gave him this voice because he was willing to be used. If you look at Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah experiences the presence of God in a, in, in a, in a powerful way. And when he experiences that, he sensed God calling someone to go and he steps up and says, here I am, send me. That's how it all starts. From this, those words of Isaiah saying, I'm willing. Man, can you imagine if we would just say, I'm willing, God. I'm willing, use me. How he could use us to declare his good news to the world around us. It's amazing. But this is Isaiah. This is who he was. He lived, just so we know a little bit of the context of Isaiah, the history he was in. He lived during the years of 739 to 681 BC. So that was a long time ago, right? We don't even understand BC. That was before Christ. We don't get it, but that's when he lived in. And it was during a time when you had the 12 tribes of Israel. These were the 12 sons of Jacob. 10 of those tribes formed the Northern kingdom and they established Israel. Samaria was the capital of that area. Judah and, uh, uh, and Benjamin, the other two tribes, the other two sons of Jacob, they formed the Southern kingdom and, and, and had it called Judah. And the capital of Judah was Jerusalem. Right? So this is where, where they were. The northern kingdom was taken captive by Assyria in 721 BC. So that was early in Isaiah's life. So when he speaks, he speaks to some of what happened with Assyria, but he mainly prophesies to what's going to happen through Judah becoming captive to Babylon. He speaks to the fall of Judah to Babylon because he's calling them and speaking to them and t- talking to them about the Lord's indictment, and the Lord's judgment that's coming upon them because of their disobedience and their unwillingness to turn to him. But all through it, every, every bit through it, he offers hope. And the hope always points ultimately to Jesus Christ, who would bring that hope. 
Chuck Swindoll, a great communicator of God's word, a pastor, he makes uh, an author, he makes this statement about the prophet Isaiah. He said, Isaiah provides us with the most comprehensive prophetic picture of Jesus Christ in the entire Old Testament. It includes the full scope of his life. It talks, he talks about the announcement of his coming, his virgin birth, he, his proclamation of the good news, his sacrificial death, and his, uh, and his return, the second coming, to claim his own. Now, it's interesting to me that when Isaiah has been divided up, it's divided up into 66 chapters. 66 chapters in Isaiah. You realize there's 66 books in all in the, in, in the Bible, all right? Now, this is, this is neat, too. The, in, in the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, it speaks a lot and points a lot to the judgment of God. That doesn't mean there's not, he doesn't talk about the hope of God within it, just like in our Old Testament. Our Old Testament is revealing a lot of the judgment that comes and the things that happen to Israel because of the choices that they're made. But all throughout it is sprinkled in the hope that comes through the nation of Israel in Jesus Christ. But then when you get to chapter 40, of, uh, of Isaiah, it takes this transition and it transitions to this place of, 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 of hope. And it transitions with this appeal all throughout the rest of the 27 chapters of Isaiah and appeal to repentance. When you look at our Bible, the first 39 books of our Bible is the old Testament. And then when you go to the 40th book of our Bible, which is Matthew, it transitions to an incredible new hope that comes through Jesus Christ. And it is a call to repentance, to turn to Christ, to turn away from what is distracting you and what's bringing you down in your life and turning to Christ and following him. That's the call. It's just interesting to me the way that all plays out. And as Isaiah chapter 40 begins, as he's taking this transition, we see him say these words, comfort, comfort my people. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. He wants to be your personal God, and he wants to bring you comfort. God's the source of all comfort. He is the source of comfort. And let this sink in for a second. God is bringing comfort to people who are walking in willful rebellion and disobedience to him. He spoke comfort over people who were willfully rebelling against him. Again, Israel fell under a captivity of Assyria. And when this was taking place, Judah made a treaty with Assyria so that Assyria wouldn't attack them. But Assyria's ultimate goal was to eventually attack Judah. When Judah realized this, they tried to make peace and make a treaty with Egypt for them to help them be protected against Assyria. And then they decided to turn their efforts to Babylon. They allowed uh, the ambassadors of Babylon to come into their treasures. And eventually Babylon takes Judah captive. And see, what happens in our life, a lot of times the things that we are trying to make peace with or the things that we make peace with are they may very well be robbing us of the peace of God in our life. Because you think about it, how often we make peace and we say, well, that's just who I am. This is who, this is how I was born. These are the cards I were dealt, was dealt. This is the hand I was dealt. This is the way my life is. This is who I am. So we make peace with that aspect. But we make peace with that and we just accept it and it's robbing us of the peace of God that God wants to bring us in our life. He wants to give you comfort. He wants to give you joy. 
In fact, he's very emphatic about it. Why do I say that? Because when Isaiah, when God tells Isaiah to say this comfort, comfort, that word being said twice, when a word is repeated like that, it's, it's typically, it's making an, an emphatic statement. It's putting emphasis on it. And he's saying very emphatically, let them know I'm bringing comfort. But you would think that people who are willfully rebellious and disobedient, God would bring judgment, right? You would think the prophecy would be saying, announce to them judgment, judgment on my people. But God knows that condemnation will not lead to salvation. But kindness and compassion does. In fact, the Hebrew word there, comfort, is a word that speaks to compassion connected to repentance. When Jesus came to this earth, and there's a night we read about in John chapter 3. The most famous verse probably of the Bible that most people know that gets proclaimed all over the place and put on stuff and sports world and everywhere. John three sixteen, Jesus is sitting in, a, in, in this area at night talking to a Pharisee, a religious leader who's genuinely coming, I believe, to have a conversation with Jesus to try to understand who he is and why he's there. And so Jesus tells him, look, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And then he makes this statement in the very next verse. He says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world. Or or, or other translations say, not to condemn the world. But why? He came to save the world through Jesus Christ. What Jesus was saying is you've been waiting on the coming of a Messiah, of a deliverer, of a redeemer. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, he's here. And it's me, is what Jesus is saying. And he says, I came so that anybody would believe in me and what I do, they will have everlasting life. I didn't come into this world to bring, to bring condemnation on people because that's what people were hoping. They were hoping that, that this Messiah is going to come and bring condemnation and judgment on all those who had been oppressing them. When in reality, it was their own disobedience that led them into that oppression. And Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn. I didn't come to judge. The whole reason I'm here, Jesus says, is to save people. To open up an opportunity for people to be saved from God's judgment. We need to understand this, though. That was his first coming. His second coming, he does come as king. And he does come as one to judge. But the whole purpose of his first coming was to save us from the judgment that comes in the second coming. That's why he came. And he said he came to do it with compassion. Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 2. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Peter said this, we've talked about this in in recent messages. We've referenced the the words of Peter where he says that God is waiting patiently because he wants everyone to be saved. That's his heart. He doesn't want to condemn someone to an eternal life of damnation. That's not what he wants. He wants people to be saved. And so Paul is saying, do you not understand how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient and loving and beautiful God is to you? He says, does this mean nothing to you? He 
He says, can't you see that his kindness, his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? And what is that? Repentance. His kindness is leading you to repentance, is what Paul is saying. To turn from your sin, to turn to him. See, Isaiah is pointing out, he's saying, God knows there is sin that separates you from him. But his desire is to pardon that sin. So he tells Isaiah, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. To speak with kindness, to speak with grace, to speak with mercy, to speak with compassion. To speak tenderly to him. Tell her, her sad days are gone, her sins are pardoned. There's this... This, in the culture of that day, there was this time when a, when a Jew would go into debt and they would have a lot of financial obligations, financial debt. What they would do is they, could turn, they would turn their property over to a creditor. And this creditor would, would make out this paper. They would make two copies of this paper to let them know that the property is under a, uh, under a mortgage, is under a debt. And they would tack that paper onto the door of their main, the, the home or the main part of that farm or whatever it was on that property. They would tack it on there. So that anybody come by, they would know that that property or that place is under a debt at the moment. But as soon as that debt was covered, as soon as that debt was paid for, the creditor would take that other copy and they would take the other copy and, and, and hammer it and nail it onto the old copy to say that it is now covered double, meaning it has been taken care of and it has been paid in full. The debt is paid in full of that place and it's been covered double. Its debt is covered double. And Isaiah is speaking to the nation of Jerusalem, Judah, and he's telling them, your debt is covered double. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. And what did he do? He canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. He's nailed it to a cross and he said, that debt is covered. That debt is paid for. Because that's what Jesus came to do to pardon. That's good news of comfort and joy. The only peace, the only joy that we can find in this life is finding ourselves in Christ who came to cover us. The good news of Jesus. If you keep going further in Isaiah, you find that Isaiah, he says, I heard God saying, shout. And Isaiah's like, what do I shout? And he says, shout and tell them that uh, the people are like grass and their beauty fades. Oh, man. I don't want my beauty to fade. It's fading. <laughs> right? He says, people are like grass and your beauty fades. But the word of the Lord stands forever. It never fails you. It will never fail you. And he tells, Isaiah basically says, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's come and that he comes as a shepherd. He says, go tell it as high from the highest peaks that you can tell it from, that the Lord is coming in power and he's coming as a shepherd. See, it's only when we, we realize our helplessness in ourselves that we put ourselves in a position to take hold of the comfort and the joy that God wants to give us. We've got to realize anything we try, anything we put ourselves in, in ourselves, it fades, but God never fails. 
Peter said it this way, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25. The word of the Lord remains forever, and that word is the good news that was preached to you. Then Isaiah transitions in his, in his speaking. We saw it. Isaiah chapter 40. Just, just look again real quick. Verses 3 and 4. It's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys. Level the mountains and the hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. What he was doing is he was saying that there was a voice that was coming that was going to do these things. He was speaking about the one who came to prepare the way. The one that we know is John the Baptist. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three individuals, Matthew and Mark, who walked with Jesus, Luke, who thoroughly investigated everything about the life of Jesus, they write and they tell us about John the Baptist, how he's a fulfillment of that prophecy. Look at Matthew's words. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching, and his message was this. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then look what he says. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. See, in in this day again, in this culture, this wording was important because roads in the east, they were not maintained very well. They were generally poorly maintained. Right? Maybe you can relate to that. You understand what that feels like, okay? Um, and, and we're praying for the DOT as they work towards that bridge coming us between Canada. We're praying for you. We're believing. But, uh, but um, he said, we love you too. I'm not speaking bad about you. We love you. We appreciate you. Work hard. And, um, but, but these guys, they, when a king was going into a new area, he was, he w- they would send a representative to assure that the roads were adequate, adequately prepared for the king's coming. They would go and they would do everything they could do. They'd find any holes that were in the way, make sure those holes are filled. They'd find any rocks that might could turn the, 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 the carriage over, get those things out of the way. Make, make sure everything is pleasant, everything is smooth, so that when the king comes, everything is taken care of and he's got a pleasant and easy way to come in. This is what John the Baptist was doing. Spiritually, he was coming in and he was removing every hindrance that was standing in the way of what Jesus was bringing to the people through his message. John was the mouthpiece and God was using John to call Judah and the nation of Israel to repentance. The apostle John spoke of John the Baptist this way. John chapter one, verse six, he said, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. Prophet Malachi said, look, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. John the Baptist was called my messenger by God. Just like Israel through Isaiah was called my people. Because God wants a personal relationship with us and he wants to use us. And in the same way, we can be not just God's people, but God's messengers. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. He said, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago to do. The things that he's already got prepared for us to do. He wants us to be his messengers. We can be that. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. You can show others the goodness of God because he called you out of darkness into a wonderful light who is Jesus Christ. Now is our day, our time to fulfill our purposes for Christ, to be his messengers, 
to carry the good news of Jesus Christ, this news of comfort and joy that has come for us. He's come for everyone. We mentioned this quote a couple of weeks ago from C.T. Studd. Only uh, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Christ. And Jesus told us the different types of soils there are that the seed of the word of God can fall upon. And good soil is not prepared by accident. It takes time to cultivate and remove overgrowth that wants to choke it out. It takes time to remove the rocks that want to keep it from going. It takes time to cultivate good soil and it requires God's messengers to prepare the way, to do the work, to cultivate the soil of as many souls as we can to prepare them for the seed and the word of God. We've got to rest in the compassion of Christ. We've got to realize that there is sin that wants to separate us from God, but we've also got to realize that there's a savior that's come to pardon us. So we repent, we follow him, and we walk in the call to prepare way. That's what we do. That's what we do. He has offered us comfort and joy. And there is a reward in doing this. Luke chapter 18, Jesus, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He's speaking of the sacrifice that comes with following him. Luke chapter 18, verse 29. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children For the sake of the kingdom of God, Jesus says, will be repaid many times over. And when will you get this? See, he's saying, I'm doubling. I'm, I'm, I'm repaying. I'm multiplying. Your sacrifice, I'm multiplying the reward. And when do you get it? In this life. And you will have eternal life in the world to come. God wants you to experience the blessings of his comfort and joy now, not just in eternity. He wants you to walk in it now. He wants you to experience it now. He wants you to have it now. He wants you to embrace it now. He wants you to live in it every day. And you will also have it in eternity with him. Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for what Jesus Christ was born to offer you, to give you? Have you received what Jesus Christ has brought you? Are you walking in his comfort and his joy? Are you ready and are you walking and are you preparing the way for the Lord? Because it's only Jesus Christ that ultimately will straighten out every crooked road, will remove every mountain that stands in our way, will level every bit of ground in front of us that's filled with holes. It's only Jesus Christ. But he's brought us good news of comfort and joy that we can walk in and that we can carry with us. Stand with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've shown us today and what you show us continuously as we open up 
the scripture. Father, ultimately, I thank you for Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have in him. That Jesus was willing, as Paul said, to not consider equality with God something to cling to or be grasped, but instead he took on the form of a human. He was born as a child, as a baby. He lived this life just like we do. He experienced the things around him just like we experience things. He was tempted just like we are tempted. But Jesus became a man and became the greatest teacher to ever walk this earth. But he's not just a great teacher. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Son of God who came to this earth. The Son of Man who will return one day as Scripture speaks of. And He came, as the author of Hebrews said, to joyfully endure the cross. Because of the joy of salvation that it would bring to us and to the world. We thank you for that today. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in this room or watching online that's never accepted and embraced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, that today they will do that. In fact, I encourage anyone in this room or watching or listening today that if you have not allowed Jesus to be Lord of your life today, that you would do that. Paul simply said it's it's done this way. You confess with your mouth. You believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he is who he said he was, that he came to give his life for you. You believe that. And then you confess with your mouth that he's Lord. That means that there's a repentance where you turn from your sin and you turn to him and put him on the throne of your life and you follow Jesus. Believe in your heart. Confess him as Lord today. And I just encourage you, if you've never done that, take that step. It's a step that you'll never regret taking. I just want to give you a moment today, if that's you, to just say in your own heart, in your words, that Jesus, I believe that you really came. You really died. You really were resurrected for me. And I want to make you Lord of my life today. In Jesus' name. God, I pray today that every heart that's in this room that has made you Lord of their life, that every day we walk looking for how we can express the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that brings comfort and joy to our lives and to the world around us, that more than the worrisome and the trouble of our circumstances, more than the attacks of our temptations, rather than speaking about those things, God, more than the sin of the world, we will speak about the goodness of God and how great you are. And the more we live in your presence, the better you get. We thank you for it today. God, we love you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.